Hello and welcome to In A Different League, the official podcast of the original fantasy football game. We're your hosts, me, Chris Pilau. And me, Jess Barker-Humphreys. And this is what you can look forward to in episode three. Ten games into the Premier League season, we will take our usual look at the big hitters, strugglers and hidden gems ahead of game week 11 coming up this weekend. We're joined by our first ever Fantasy League chairman guest, Phil Honey, looks back on nearly 30 years of the main league. And we will have your questions answered in part three, tips and advice you need to put yourselves as ever in a different league. Right, so Jesse, recording slightly earlier in the week this week, closer to the weekend actually that's just been, which means that I'm full of regret and it's a, it really plays with your emotions this game. And I found myself on Sunday kind of at half time, of, you know, not even at by the end, but just sort of looking at all of these games, being like, where am I? What am I doing? Full of regret. I got two points. What a terrible weekend that just went by. The Garrett Lane Wines Fancy League. That's how we're op- that's how we're opening for Peel's old boys. How did you do? I got ten times as many points as you. I got twenty yeah. points, which wasn't the the best score of the of the week in my league. Um, there is a player who has Nketiah and Erling Haaland, um, who obviously then did very very well. But I was pretty pleased with with twenty. Yeah, it's it's boosted my my lead back to more around that forty point mark, um, which I think think was needed but where did it all go wrong for you this weekend Chris well someone made the point in the lead up to the weekend he started having a look around and was trying to decide if anyone was a one was a one-man team and came to the conclusion actually he he came up with the stats for it as well I was the most one-man team obviously with Ollie Watkins now for me that's because Ollie Watkins was just performing so much better than every single other player in the whole league at that point so I think the math should be taken with a bit of a pinch of salt and he's obviously not the only player that I've got but uh, I don't know there's there's obviously there's that regret from those players those points that I could have got for example from Jack Harrison I mean that would only have got an added two by the way the only two points I got was a Bernardo Silva assist the very last goal of the weekend so (laughs) I was prepared to even get zero by the end of that weekend Uh, but where did it go wrong I mean yeah just across the board really defenders obviously are not getting points for a lot of players a lot of managers in the league so far this season especially from some of those big players. Villa played amazingly well, but my two Villa players, Zaniolo and Watkins, did not score any points. I I look at Bruno Fernandes and think, well, it's a Manchester derby, things will go through him, but you don't get points for whining and moaning on the pitch. So a lot of things, and obviously a few injuries and players who aren't coming on. So all players like Kulusevski, Cunha, who just love running the ball down the right wing and then not doing anything with it and then dithering and passing it backwards so those are the sorts of players I've got obviously you can tell uh, that it really kind of affects my mood going into the week two points for me worst score in my league and but still in sixth so I still am the Crystal Palace you know there was a period last season where Crystal Palace just kept staying in 13th I really am the Crystal Palace doesn't matter how many points you get I can't yeah. wait to, in part three, talk about adding points for um, whining and moaning. That would be oh, yeah. a great uh, angle to go down. A, a whiner really of the 11. week. Yeah. Bruno would, would do you very, very well with that. He would. He um, would. See, unlike you, I benefited a lot from the Aston Villa game because I had Moussa Diaby, who got a goal and a manual assist. And this is also relevant to what we'll talk about a bit later. Matty Cash came off on the 79th minute crucially before Aston Villa conceded uh, their rather amusing goal against Luton. So I still got my my clean sheet points from there, which I was feeling very, very good about, I can't lie. 
yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like you've done a magic trick when that happens. It does happen. Uh, but not to me, and not actually to a lot of, like I said, not a lot of players in our league got defensive points. The person who finished ended up, who ended up finishing top did, and he's kind of like the only one who really got defensive points. There's not that many going around. Obviously, the leading scorers from last weekend, well, the leading scorer was Eddie Nketiah. I wondered how many people had him. Does, does Eddie Nketiah exist in your league? Yeah, so Julian, the guy who got the most points this week, he had Nketiah and Haaland, so that really propelled him. Edison and Zinchenko helped him out as well. But yeah, a very good week for Nketiah. And my dad and his fabled Kai Havertz, very expensive purchase, told me before this game that this was going to be, you know, sort of Kai Havertz's moment. Jesus is out. We're going to see Arteta play Havertz as the nine. And then Nketiah goes and goes and does that. So but I laughed. I'm, you know, I'm I'm not feeling threatened by Julian. He's still quite far down the league. So just just an enjoyable week, really, for me. And sorry, you did say earlier that someone had Nketiah in Haaland. I just, I was, I just still had the red mist. You, about you were in your misery. You weren't paying any attention. All you could hear was just sad violins in the background of what you'd been saying. Yeah, just rolling my eyes. Oh, other people got points, did they? Nine points. Oh, great. From one player. Not even Brilliant. people in your league. You're like, yeah. good for them. And of course, Erling, Erling Haaland goes back on top of the league. He's the best performer so far this season on 36 points. A question came up in our league over the weekend whether, because the guy who's got Haaland is top now, the guy who had Haaland last season is top. It's obviously early days and you can't win the league with one player. But whether Haaland kind of goes as far as, you know, translating being top of the league or being towards the top of the league, obviously he's a top performing player, he would be. But a lot of people are almost saying now, from Phil, who has Haaland in our league, like, oh God, did we miss a trick here of not pushing Phil beyond 29 million out of... 50 by the way maybe we should have pushed into the 30s and 40s because Haaland wins you the league I mean you, I know that Julian isn't in your league there is a lot of regret going around fantasy league land I think of people who don't have him now yeah see I think it probably depended on how much your league valued him because I feel like I know from, from people in a couple of different leagues is that if people were really pushed to pay a lot of money for him, they're now sort of struggling. And I feel like the real Haaland effect probably came last year when no one knew how to value. So our mm. league was won by someone with Haaland. Um, in, and whereas in our league, we've really got that sort of one player effect that you were just talking about having with Watkins, whereby Haaland's got 37 points and then Julian's next top scorer is Edison with 11. So yeah. I feel like that's one of those ones where you're like, okay, there's... <laughs> That's a really like sort of outsized impact on Haaland and actually across across a whole season, especially because right now, and I mean, this could change. He, he's scoring well, but it doesn't feel like he's scoring sort of as just bonkersly as he was last year. Although it would be interesting to see. Obviously, I feel like there's always been a bit of a, oh, Haaland can be a bit of a flat track bully, but getting goals in the Manchester derby at Old Trafford is a pretty good way to to sort of put well, paid to that So notion. he's a flat track fully. Hey! <laughs> yeah. um, and obviously, yeah, it depends what you do. You know, if Haaland was one of the first early buys in the auction and then you can kind of sit back and then maybe wait and pounce and get some really good value players towards the end and hopefully not spend... You, you know, you're going to have to wait really and kind of see what happens in your auction. If that was the case, it'll be... But it's already interesting kind of thinking ahead to next season, what's going to happen to Haaland in the auction if he's still at City. But am I right in thinking as well that in your league, Haaland went automatically to someone anyway? To Julian. It was it was due to um, unavailability for the auction that we 
kindly decided that the best way to do it was to give him Haaland for a set price, which I thought was quite low. But so we gave it to him a set price and then but then obviously because he wasn't there, he couldn't then he had to just take whoever was left at the end. And we picked the players at the end. Yeah, it's been a bit of a different one. We haven't really had that experience of like a live auction for Haaland. And I think that would have made things quite different. But I will say, I think it also made it quite fun to then take that player out of the pool, basically. Mm. And be like, he's not available. You sort of all got to immediately decide who you're going for instead. Um, But yeah, it will be interesting for us, I think, to see next year what happens with that. Yeah, with him and whoever all the big hitters are. And obviously, years in the future, let's wait to see how much Jude Bellingham goes for if he ever comes (laughs) comes to the Premier League. But looking ahead to this weekend, another bit of regret, actually, that I had looking into last weekend, kind of as we look ahead now to game week 11. I spoke about on the last podcast, some people, you know, I said, you know, look out for Wolves, they'll be quite attacking and uh, look out for these people and uh, Leon Bailey and Jack Harrison, obviously. And it's starting to really annoy me that somewhere in there like I said I don't trust myself last week somewhere in there is the right thinking the right fantasy league thinking Newcastle uh, I brought up as well um, the fact that and it's probably it's worth noting that Tonali and Jacob Murphy are now not available for Newcastle I had a look, quick look at the stats with Neil last week and um, Tonali was the most transferred out player last week going into game week 10 obviously he's not going to be available anymore but there will be some teams who aren't able to make those transfers they don't have weekly or monthly still bid so starting to see some players starting to disappear and Neto Falls is another player that I mentioned but yeah looking ahead there are some really tasty fixtures coming up this weekend it kind of feels like every game like needs a statement win I don't know how you feel obviously it does every weekend but starting straight away with Fulham against Man United two teams that have been underperforming um, and there might be, I don't know, I think there could be some interesting points that are picked up across the board this weekend. Are there any, over to you now, Jesse, to make your predictions for the weekend. But are there any teams that um, are, are drawing your attention? Brentford, maybe? Uh, yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't want to have to talk about that one. Um, I mean, I didn't think Brentford were amazing. Chelsea, I just thought, were also rubbish. So I'm not sure I'm going to pick Brentford to start doing fantastically. But one game I think is interesting will be Everton-Brighton because Mm. I feel like Everton generally have had results probably worse than their performances, but they got that win over West Ham. Dominic Calvert-Lewin back scoring. Not that I'd want to rely on him to be around for anything more than a week. At home against Brighton, who continue just to be a little bit... hmm. I feel like, obviously, they started the season, they looked really good. They were coming off the back of, you know, looking fantastic ever since sort of De came in. They conceded that equaliser to to Fulham this weekend, who, you know, I, I agree with you, feel like not a great team right now. And I feel like that could be an interesting one because I think Brighton really actually needs sort of a good Premier League result. I mean, I know, you know, for example, they were beating Ajax midweek, but Ajax are pretty, pretty rubbish at this point. Um, So I think that could be a really interesting one because it feels like Everton could sort of spring a surprise in inverted commas. And then Tottenham-Chelsea obviously is is the Monday night game. And for me personally, is probably the standout fixture of, of the weekend. Tottenham obviously top Chelsea, not great, but I still am sort of holding on to like some of the performances have been better than some of the results. And I think Chelsea have looked better against better teams. 
So against Liverpool, against Arsenal, than they have against some of the the, the mid-table teams, which is strange because that, that's what they should be used to at this point because they are a mid-table team themselves. Um, but I feel like that could be a really interesting one. You know, the Chelsea always feel like they, they can find an extra level if it's about bursting Tottenham's bubble, obviously thinking back to the, the season when when they stopped Spurs being able to win the league and Leicester went on to win. So I feel like that could be a fun one on Monday night. It's interesting you say that about Chelsea because actually I noted down that their upcoming run is t- is is not great. But if it's it's two sides of the coin, if it, if you reckon that they're they're one to watch against the bigger teams, I mean their upcoming run after Tottenham it goes Man City, Newcastle, Brighton, Man United. Now I know Brighton and Man United, whether we should say those are big fixtures or not. I mean, obviously they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could be one that on paper people with um, Chelsea players who are able to transfer them out may be looking at maybe trying to get them out. Or maybe it's ones that you stick to. And obviously, I mean, Christopher and Kunku, but Christopher and Kunku doesn't come back till January. That's right. It's not December. Well, this was actually interesting. Pochettino said that he sort of potentially could be back after the November international break, which is a lot earlier than had been implied previously. Now, I don't know if that's just trying to bring a little bit of positivity to a camp that doesn't necessarily have lots at the moment. Um, But I think he is sort of back on grass. It will be very interesting because obviously Nkunku is probably one of the few sort of world-class players Chelsea have. And he looked amazing in pre-season before he got injured. But we also know that traditionally players who come from the Bundesliga sometimes take time to warm up, don't always look good in the, the Premier League as they have in the Bundesliga. And he's now sort of in this position of having to come into a team halfway through and a team that really needs someone to score goals so I don't know how much that pressure might sort of tell on him but I think it will be a big boost to to Chelsea's attack regardless yeah and then and then obviously Spurs who who kind of showed that they could win ugly last weekend against Crystal Palace Son is having an amazing season you know all the Son owners out there I think he's already scored well he's nearly scored as many as he had uh, the entirety of last season and Spurs kind of need to capitalise now. It'll be interesting what happens to Spurs when he goes off to represent South Korea and they've also got some African players going off to African Cup of Nations. But it's kind of how long will this run keep going for Tottenham? It's amazing. And on a weekend where Harry Kane, in our league, someone bought Harry Kane at the start of the season. So uh, it gets Same shared whenever Harry Kane scores a goal. Oh, brilliant. Three points for Harry Kane for Bayern Munich <laughs> this weekend. But it's, you know, it's the perfect scenario for Spurs. He's gone. He's having a great time. It's great for England. It's great for Tottenham. It's great for Son. Madison's come in and kind of replaced Kane. You know, everything's going really well at Tottenham. I just don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, I mean, just listening to all of that makes me feel a bit unwell. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I am a bit sceptical of how long it, it, it can last. And they're just fun, aren't they? They're just It just feels like an enjoyable vibe. And I think it's funny because I do wonder if sort of the pressure that is maybe on... Ten Hag, and I think to a slightly lesser extent Pochettino, has been increased by the Ange Postacoglu effect because you've got this club who lost their best player, had a new manager come in, and it just feels like he's given almost everyone there a whole new lease of life and feels like at United and at Chelsea, like that's not really happened. And, you know, with United, I guess it's even more damning given how long Ten Hag has been there. Um, I guess the other thing, question I'd ask, is there any sort of fixtures maybe towards the bottom of the table where potentially there are some out there picks 
Um, I guess actually mm. one, which isn't really a bottom of the table, but a, a team we've talked about already is is Forest playing Villa. Feels like Villa really ha- are in good goal scoring form, and Forest struggled against Liverpool at the weekend. That could be this could be your moment, Chris. You could be on next week saying I finished the week on thirty points because Ollie Watkins scored ten goals against. Forest. Maybe. I mean, Villa have had the last two games playing. Villa have got a very, very good home record. Um, their away record isn't disastrous, but it's, it's just very good at home. And that Forest are one of a few teams who will be looking at these home fixtures now coming up on the weekend. I can't imagine that. Well, maybe I can because they've been playing so badly. But uh, Sheffield United, Burnley, Forest and Luton. It feels bad to put Forest in the same category as those. They're all playing at home. Are they all going to lose their games? I'm not sure. Like I said at the at the start, it kind of every game like needs a statement win. Sheffield United, Burnley, and Luton absolutely do need to start getting something out of their games now. Forest, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if they if they got something against Villa at home. I've got Callum Hudson Odoi at Forest, but he's been out the last couple as well. Again, something that's not been going well for my team. Um, but as I know, it's whether whether you do look at those other three promoted teams as well, or do you just discount them completely? We've been saying it since the start of the season, really. And Sheffield United especially look quite poor. Yeah, it feels hard to really, with sort of any of those teams, look for bright sparks, even with Forest, Taiwo Awanis obviously started the season in, in fantastic form and that sort of slipped away as well. So it does feel like this is a year where by there aren't those sort of gems that you could maybe find around bottom teams who, OK, the teams weren't going to do very well, but they were going to score, still manage to get 10 goals across the season. It feels like quite bleak. I think in terms of looking for those kind of players, which which does make it harder, right? Because then everyone's sort of shunted back up to the top of the table to try and find point scorers there. One more game as well, Brentford-West Ham. is kind of see it as the two, you know, ones to look out for, but these will be players that absolutely are in people's teams, in Brian and Bomo, and, but also in Jared Bowen, because Mikel Antonio has not been playing that well at all really for West Ham as sort of like the trusted number nine and David Moyes spoke a few weeks ago saying that he thinks that Jared Bowen will could become a number nine and I just think that it might be the person that they just start putting you know all their eggs into the Jared Bowen basket in the same way that Brian and Bomo has kind of like really stepped in for Ivan Tony. It's amazing. He had a really good month in October. One of the best players. He's up there as sort of like third, yeah, in the in the top ten as well of players performing so far this season. Which is a place where Ivan Tony was last season. You know, he's completely stepped into the the, the boots of Ivan Tony. So yeah, it could be interesting goal scorers. A, a kind of interesting battle between those two in that game West Ham are very much hot and cold at the moment yeah definitely and I guess interesting as well sort of with Tony's return now not feeling super far off although of course whether he sort of returns to Brentford per se is something that's kind of worth keeping an eye on and I guess when we're doing so well maybe potentially makes that exit more likely you know I feel like I was listening to another podcast and someone was sort of saying, you know, maybe you hold on to to Tony just because the money you'd even get for him is worth not getting like drawn into a relegation battle or something like that. But I think if you're Brentford right now, you're not really worried about that at all. So I can see entirely why you'd look potentially to cash in, given how how your players are performing right now. On Brentford, is Neil Mope in existence in your league? I feel bad to laugh at a player. When he kicked the ball away in the Chelsea game, my head was hot. My head was really hot at that point. Um, no, I don't think anyone's got 
Mope. I think everyone is aware now that that is. Has someone got him in your league? Have no. you got him? No, 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 no. I was like, this would explain everything. He may have been on Mope. a long list and a short list of ones to consider at one point, but no. I don't have any Brentford players. I don't. I don't think I've ever had a Brentford player. You know, maybe I should be looking, but but not at him. No, he doesn't. He looks shot for confidence. He looks better than he was at Everton. But you know, in this game, Robert Sanchez almost get... caught up with him. I mean, he did get an assist, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but he almost need... caught up with yeah, him. Yeah, I know. He just looked. He just looked tired. He looked so tired that <laughs> maybe it was the right the decision pitch. to pass the ball. <laughs> maybe it was the decision to right the ball. He didn't have literally anything left in him to even make the decision to shoot on goal. But if he needs to, if he's going to start scoring three points, then yeah, he needs to start taking. More and better shots at goal. The poor guy. Anyway, maybe I will have to turn to him. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, very interesting uh, and exciting game week 11 coming up, spread between Saturday and Monday night, which finishes between Tottenham and Chelsea. There's also League Cup fixtures in midweek that either have happened, are happening or are about to happen. No doubt all your Premier League players score loads of points in those games and then uh, use up all their goals and not have them in the Premier League over the weekend, I'm sure. A reminder that you can reach out to us on podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk with maybe your sort of long essays of regret of your team and your auctions, any things that are going well or badly for you and other team members. You can also reach us on social media on Twitter at Fantasy League. So one of the main reasons, obviously, this podcast was set up is we want to find out all about the brilliant different leagues out there. We've started off so far. We've heard about Chris's league. We've heard about my league. And we are delighted to have our first non-pod guest on this week to talk about their league. We're joined today by Phil Honey, who's been playing since 1995, an experienced head, shall we say, in, in the fantasy league world. So, Phil, firstly, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse and Chris, for having me on. I think we should probably start by just asking how, why, what Fantasy League all those years ago? I think it happened, I say, 95. It was actually the January. So the whole concept had been going a little while. And I got the call from my older brother to say, oh, we're doing this Fantasy League thing. I Probably around about the same time as the um, Frank Skinner and Badil programme. So watching Alice was a very funny show anyway. And it was like, oh, do you want to do it? And... There was enough of us, got together in the Grange in Ealing, a lot, a lot of drinks. It seemed like a good idea just to be doing football for hours, just talking football. Blind leading the blind. We didn't know what we were doing. I don't think that first auction, we didn't really have any guidance at all. But uh, it seemed to be, you know, good fun. Yeah, from then on, we had a proper auction in the summer. So, yeah, we've had 30 auctions. I'd like to think we are experienced in what we're doing, but um, it never always happens like that. There's always still many things that happens on an auction day. You know, I'm very quite proud of our league, really. It's uh, it's always good fun, always very, very competitive. And we have the same old jokes every auction day. So uh, loved it for a long time now. You started back then and halfway through a season as well. And obviously it's changed a lot. We spoke with Jesse last week about how Jesse's dad started back then and, and how it must have evolved a lot since then. You've seen the involvement yourself since back then, obviously pre-website and everything. Oh, yeah. Give an insight of how it used to work back then at the very beginning. Obviously, you get your head around it in January, but then you get going in that summer one. How did it actually work? Obviously, no website back then. So, yeah, in those days of 
like the mid nineties. I can't remember if it was if it was by post or by or by fax. I mean, fax machines were about. I remember. So my my brother did that first auction, and then he just couldn't be bothered to do it from then on. He played, but uh, I took up the reins because it took a bit of organisation. He got fed up with people phoning him up and saying like, "Where am I in the league?" and all this sort of thing. So I was in a position where I could take that league. And we used to, obviously you'd, you'd have a rough idea how well you did over the weekend. Yeah, but you'd have to wait. I think I think we got it by post. I, I think we used to get it by post. If not, um, it was a fax. And then I would photocopy, literally photocopy that report that would come out, and I would post it out um, from work. I'd obviously use their postage. I'm not going to pay for that. So for a bit of free postage from work and send it out to everyone. So you know, almost by the, by the end of the week, they realised what they had the week before. Making substitutions, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, every player had their own sort of like three-digit code and you'd have to go through the rigmarole of phoning up the automated transfers, uh, you know, real dedication. It took proper, proper work then to do transfers and, and substitutions, just even getting the report. It was a lot of work back then. So, yeah, the involvement, you know, the, the internet, the website, all that sort of thing has helped massively. You know, we had email back then and we used to have a dedicated manager who would be, um, you know, the bid manager? We'd send in our bids. They on a Friday morning, they'd, they'd do a, normally a quite a funny email to uh, tell everyone who they'd won and who they hadn't won. You know, it was like that. So we didn't have to have a sealed bid engine. And, and some of our rules, I suppose, are sensitive to how it was back in those days. So on the sealed bid engine now, you kind of like have to nominate a player to go out to bring a player in obviously with emails you didn't have to do that as long as our rule was as long as you bid for a player you have to have him in your squad we used to have it so that um you know you could like wait until as long as it was before the first kickoff of that weekend's games you could select whoever you wanted to move out so we're sensitive to that so you can you know nominate one of your players but if you suddenly change your mind just before the kickoff of that first weekend you can sort of swap them back out so we're sort of sensitive to some of that and the, and the timing of of that sort of thing but um back then i suppose we had a budget of 50 million which seemed a lot back in those days um and it was only really last season that we've upped it to um a 500 million pound budget so it's all relative it doesn't really matter we just multiplied all our numbers by 10 it was a lot easier to do that um but i feel like we're a lot more 21st century now yeah we had a a similar thing we we were 50 million for a long time but used to be able to bid with halves so we went to 100 because obviously then you don't have to do the decimals. I don't really know why we were doing it that way around. But again, I guess, you know, a legacy from when players, you know, it was more relevant before the massive inflation on transfer fees in real life. Yeah. Um Obviously, uh, last week I was talking about my league, which is very much a family affair. And you've mentioned your brother already, but I believe your league is also a bit of a family affair too. It is, yeah. I've had my son has joined the league. He joined three years ago, and he's won it the last three years. So that hasn't. I don't know how well that's gone down with the rest of the league. It's like off because we've between us we've won six of the last seven seasons. So the honey name sort of uh, is uh, is in the Hall of Fame on, on our league quite a lot. So luckily he's had a he's had a stinker this year. So he's right down the right down the bottom. And my brother-in-law used to have to dial in from uh, San Diego. He was living in San Diego for ten years. So technology was great. Obviously we wouldn't have been able to do that back in the day on a normal auction day. And we've got a player who dials in from Thailand. So almost like that, eight hours ahead and eight hours behind in San Diego, we're, uh, we were like covering the globe on some auctions. But 
obviously technology itself has its own has its own problems. We once had an auction where for about an hour and a half, both uh, Robbie, my brother-in-law, and I both thought we had Christian Benteke when he signed for Liverpool for about an hour and a half into the auction. So uh, it's still fraught with danger sometimes, Those uh, that sort of distance. I was furiously there trying to search, see what the equivalent was, any famous father-son man- managers in real-life football. And the only thing I could really get to there was like, obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson and his son, maybe Nigel Clough, Brian Clough, but not one to then the son takes over and wins three in a row. You could be the first in like football as a whole, like this this sort of the, the honeys, maybe. the honey legacy. Maybe. I'll tell you what, we had not the season just gone, the season before, I was running away with the league and he came up from behind and he stole it from me on the, not not just the last day of the season. You had, you it was quite, you know, sometimes on that final day, the updates sometimes take a bit of longer, but there was a Saka assist that, basically drew us level on points. We both had something like 552 points, I think it was, on that final day. And that drew him level, like about three hours, it felt like, after the the games had finished. So he beat me on goal scored. Very competitive in the house. Sometimes it's it's not a good place to be at the weekend. Normally one of them. He takes it very well well because he keeps on winning, but... Maybe it's me that's always grumpy. I'm so competitive with this sort of thing. Got to love a down-to-the-wire league, though. You know, yeah. it's never fun when someone yeah. just runs away with it. That's right. It's, we've had it before when someone does just run away with it. But I would say the last five or six years, it's always been quite close. Last year was quite a close one that he won as well. Uh, I think the, the last time I won, there was a bit of controversy when Bruno Fernandes signed because our deadline now is at nine o'clock on a Friday morning. I think he came onto the website. So we had to obviously be on the website as you do your seal bids. It was like 8.59 and I managed to get a bid in just before that nine o'clock deadline. I won that season by the amount of points that Bruno had, had scored that particular sort of half season. So uh, yeah, we have a fair bit of controversy as well. But uh, yeah, it's never fun when someone runs away with it. Fergie time, honey time. The honeys know what they're yeah. doing. So we haven't spoken about the name of your league either. We, we looked at it last week and we're like, what, what was this? And then we kind of seen the history of the, the league as well. You, so you used to meet up at, the, at a pub in Ealing called The Grange, and that's where you had your first auction, that yeah. famous one in January back in 1995. Uh, 95, 95 yeah. Um, and now, all these years later, it's no longer called The Grange. But what are you called now? We are The Mange now. Rather unpleasant um, skin disease for... Dogs, I think that's where it came from. No real reason other than it rhymed and because I put it out to vote when we had a rebrand because it was like, well, we don't go to the Grange anymore. We should really call ourselves something different. We used to go to the Ugly Duckling pub quite a lot and that that changed. So we didn't really want to call ourselves the Toby Carvery League. So yeah, the mains got voted in. It was a a mistake really to ask the proles to vote. Obviously, as I believe all good fantasy leagues should be associated with the pub, I feel like you must have some good stories from when people have had just that little bit too much on on auction day. Now, I've grown up now, so I'm in my 50s, so uh, auction day is taken very seriously. But those first 20 auctions, let's say, were very, very messy. We used to have, so we had our own little rules. We're very traditional with what we've got. We we haven't changed, we haven't changed our formations. I... um, set up our rules for what could happen on on auction day and they were very much based around alcohol they were very much if you if you bust on your budget there was a penalty shot if you bust on that two players from any one team you not only had to have a penalty shot of something so someone else would choose it i forget if you if you've 
like the last one who ever offended, you could then select the next drink for the next person who fouled up. Um, but we were drinking anyway, so we didn't really need these penalty drinks. I mean, some you know we've had people who've uh, you know had far too much to drink anyway, and uh, that used to be terrible. We once had. Must have been 2001. We had Van Bronckhorst got bought and everyone seemed to want him. He was bought three times at the same auction because if you bid for a player and you've already got two. So he was at Arsenal. So the first time someone already had two Arsenal players, he bit, you know, wins Van Bronckhorst. We all big cheers. We love it when someone messes up like that. He's got to take a penalty drink. He has to buy Van Bronckhorst. And I forget which player it was, but he would have put obviously his worst Arsenal player back into the pool. Then he's bid another player or he's done a deal, and Van Bronckhorst goes back into the free agent pool, and then he gets bought again. So, and the same thing sort of happened. So we had the Van Bronckhorst pet, it's called a Van Bronckhorst in our league. If you foul up and get to, you know, that third player, you have to have a drink penalty. So once we, I think, left the pub or grew up a little bit, or the real hard drinkers didn't make it, because we've obviously not got the same the same crowd. We've got two or three that have been with the league a long time. A lot of mistakes on drinks day, you know, and sometimes it was hard. It was very, very hard for me to do a tracker. You know, obviously I've got, a, I use an Excel spreadsheet these days, but you know, the older A3 tracker that you'd send us, you know, I'd be filling that in and yeah, it's very hard to drink and do maths at the same time, keep track on all of that. Everyone just concentrates on their own team, but I've got to concentrate on my team and the whole league, how that's going. And, you know, sometimes when you when you're drinking, it's really difficult. It's amazing how much it happens. It happens every year. We heard about the Lissandro debacle. It happens. Yes. I don't know how it happens, but it does. And you're right. Maybe alcohol is one of the leading factors yeah. uh, at auctions, which uh, you said something to us before uh, we were recording, Phil, about auctions and and how much they sort of mean to you. I mean, obviously, you've done so many now, yeah. um, but it's sort of like how important it is to you, like the most, one of the most important days in the year. Obviously, it's changed a lot since the first days. There might not be as many tequila shots swirling around, but has has that stayed strong with you and yeah, the, and, and the mange? The, the, yes, I think so. You know, the WhatsApp group is uh, leading up to auction day, gets ramped up. People say to me, w- w- "When is the next auction?" You know, like come come sort of January. When are we? When is the next auction? When we can? It's always the first Saturday before the season starts. That's kind of like we the, the best we do. But you know how difficult it is to get. I mean, we have on average ten managers uh, to organise it's very difficult in the summer holidays to get 10 people and I say again people have dialed in from their Mediterranean holidays or whatever to make sure they don't miss it but there's always I mean my my anniversary is the 8th of August it's always um, because I, I set the date it's easy for me to sort out but it's Christmas day for me and I love it I absolutely get such I think it's such fun to get together talk football for hours at an end it normally takes six or seven hours for us to do an auction we take our time yeah just that banter before during after it's uh it's the high, one of the highlights of the year for me if not the highlight i love it that's a sentiment that's definitely definitely shared by almost everyone who who plays fantasy league and and rightly so who's leading in the league phil is it are you and your or your son still leading now i've got manager of the month for october we get an extra bit of cash if you're manager of the month because you know what it's like people always just burn all their money don't they? we've got we've got those those people who get way too excited spend all their money straight away so we have a monthly thing so i've got money of the month for october so that puts me four points off the off the top of the league so it's quite close this auction was quite funny because four players in we had one player who'd spent 500 mil spent all their money on two players managed to get them up to Erling Haaland and Haaland and uh, which i was put i pushed them all the way so i like to think i know what people are prepared to pay so i'm that one who pushes them on the auction to make sure they spend maximum amount 
Sometimes I end up with players I don't want, but I'm prepared to push them. So I've got him up to 330 for Haaland. Two players out. That's a lot, isn't it, out of 500? But he's a special player, right? So that's kind of like a record proportionally for us. We used to, Shearer used to go and Omri used to go for a lot of money. Uh, and then two players out, he he just went balls out. He had 170 left and he went Son, 170 mil. And no one was prepared to, you know, go more than that. And then obviously he was very quiet for the next four hours, you know. <laughs> uh, but he's not bottom. He picked up some good frees. It's a tactic. So you've got, to, you've got to admire that. You know, I broke the cardinal sin of having two strikers from the same team. I don't think I've, I've done that. Back in the day, we'd have Shearer and Sutton were always quite good to have together because they were banging the goals in. So I've got Nunes and Salah, but they're doing well. So that's kind of working out for me. But that's a bit of a, an unwritten rule not to, to have two strikers from the same team. Because we, ha- we have that, we, we're, like I say, traditional. We don't have three strikers up, up front. We don't play that formation. I think the one thing, and if there was ever going to be a thing to get back to the people that do the scoring on this, so we don't do the, the customised scoring. We stick to clean sheet assist goals. Yeah. Timing of a clean sheet. We want that to be 60, because it's so difficult. A few of you are going to be smiling on this. It's got to be 60 minutes. You want it to be less. Yeah. 60 minutes for a clean sheet. If you, you know, if, you know, if you get there, if you let a goal in on the 61st minute, then fine. But, so there's those defenders that come off after doing like it's the Zinchenko thing you were talking about the other day. It makes it so exciting but, that but, it's sort but, of around of, that time. But because of the way um, there's so much more substitutions going on these days, because also it's a little bit extended these games, there's that extra, extra bit of time on the end. It makes it what it is is it just devalues the defenders just that little bit too much. And I think it'd be better, um, was a little bit more sensitive to that because it is very much about strikers. They go for the big money, apart from Trent, maybe. Just my little thing, really, to say that's the one thing on that scoring. And there is absolutely no way we're going to have scoring defensive midfielders. There's absolutely no way we're going to have that ever in our league. Not as, not if I've got a voting voice in it anyway. If it came in, you would add customizable scoring just to make it zero, just so that it would. Yes, yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, there's no way we're doing that. Well, it's, I think it's good fun to have people who love Declan Rice buying him, although he actually does pop up for goals every now and, and then, doesn't he? Next week, we'll be joined by a very special guest, Paul of Shanters and Slapper Premier League Alliance, who was the co editor of the 30 point weekend Fancy League fanzine back in the day, the precursor of the, of the podcast, I guess, an oracle maybe for, for me and Chris. Um, but if you a listener want to come and tell us all about your league want to share your stories like phil has today you can get in touch with us on podcast at fancyleague.co.uk or at fancy league on twitter phil once again thank you very much for joining us thank you very much for having me Okay, so into part three in the Q&A, the head office section, but no one here from head office this weekend. A weekend of, I'd say contentious, not really contentious, but certainly talking points in manual assists. But not to fear, Neil hasn't deliberately put himself on top of a mountain, which is where he literally is on top of a mountain at the moment. Cannot be with us today, but we can still sort of dissect a couple of these issues and talking points from the weekend gone by. There were quite a few manual assists that went in, and I think, you know, some of them are very self-explanatory but I and I'd never really kind of been one to draw to be drawn into this discussion but it's ever since we spoke about it last week and whether those handball ones should count as assists which I think they absolutely definitely shouldn't and then in the weekend just gone by we had the Newcastle game and the Manchester derby in particular where there were those two penalties 
both Fabian Shah and Rodri, players kind of both running away from goal, or not, you know, not running towards goal, not sort of like making any attempt to go for goal and then pick up an assist. And it's just started to question me to question myself on that being like, are those really assists? I don't know how you feel about it, Jesse, but you know, Shah's one in particular, there's obviously big question marks whether that should be a penalty, but he is literally running away from goal. Well, the ball is like moving away from the goal. You know, it's not an assist towards a goal. I don't know how I feel. I'm, I'm in two minds now. Yeah, I do know what you mean, and I can see why. I can see why it doesn't fit. It feels like we're getting to the philosophical heart of what an assist here is. Here, you know, we're like into mm. our metaphysical era. I feel like the Rodri one more so. I'm like, it kind of is an assist, like. He's he's making an attempt to attack the ball in an attacking situation and is prohibited from doing so. Depending, I suspect, on what side of, of Manchester your alliances lie, you, you might feel like that happens more often than not uh, in certain games and as to how culpable Hoyland would be in that situation. I, I do know what you mean. I think what's interesting is you seem to kind of be leaning towards, OK, so none of them should potentially be assists. Whereas I feel more like... Maybe I'm changing my mind on whether the handball one should be assist. Mm. Just because generally I feel like more points is fun. And I find yeah. it funny that we're arguing this way, given that I'm arguing from a position of lots of points and you're arguing from a position of not many. I, you should be encouraging more points at this point, Chris. True, very true. <laughs> uh, and and actually, I think that one that I have thought about as well, and I think it's been brought up by a couple of listeners who've written in, maybe then if we're going to go for all points and just give them all, then if you are, I was about to say Ollie Watkins, he literally came to my head, not because I'm just desperately <laughs> dreaming of this to happen, but if a player, in fact, he's a bad example because he doesn't take penalties for Aston Villa, Douglas Louise does. But my point being is if you get fouled and then you take the penalty, this fantasy league rules state that you only get the goal points and not the assist. Why not get the assist point as well then? Yeah, I mean, I think that... too far? No, no, no. I, I think that seems... That makes more sense because it feels ridiculous that if, for example, what happened to Rodri had happened to Haaland, that Haaland wouldn't get the points. Like, the, the points then wouldn't exist because it's the same action. It's contributed to getting the, the penalty. Why? Just because you take the penalty. I feel like that's mm. a kind of, like, you either have to decide whether it matters or it doesn't matter. Yeah, I would agree. G- give more points. All right. I think. I think when the Neil thing comes with... down from his mountain. He's like, oh my gosh, I should <laughs> never have let them to do this part alone. Yeah, we're making decisions now. <laughs> the only thing I think is fun with like the Cher and the Rodri ones is that they're players who who aren't necessarily scoring loads and loads of points. So I think also it's fun True. when you sort of get a random assist sprinkled in. You know, we were talking about how you know in Rodri's case, defensive midfielders get undervalued. Now they can mm, sort of roguely get a penalty. On a week, another week, and Douglas Louise got points. Yeah, Rodri gets points. Uh, but yeah, you're right. And actually, and goalkeepers as well. I can't. I, we've we've done a tiny bit of customizable scoring, but not that much. I think we've just added the goalkeeper save point. Which, by the way, there was even a moment on Saturday. This is how bad it got for me last weekend. I keep going on about me last weekend, but there was a moment in the Newcastle Wolves game on Saturday afternoon. I kind of I went on to my score app and I was like, well, how many saves has Nick Pope made? Because he's my <laughs> goalkeeper. And he'd made four in the first half or in around the 60th minute. I thought, well, you know, at least he's going to get to five save points and uh, five saves and I'm going to get a save point. That didn't even happen. He still st- stayed on oh, four man. points the rest of the game. But anyway, we've, we've done a bit of customizable points. And I think 
I can't remember. Uh, and if we haven't, maybe we should look into doing it ourselves next uh, season in the Garrett Lane Ones Fancy League. But actually inflating a goalkeeper point. I mean, if a goalkeeper gets a goal, a goalkeeper gets an assist, it can't just be worth two and three for a goalkeeper. Maybe that Oh, you think it should be worth well. more? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible where, that would be if your keeper where scores. Where do you stop? Says, I know. Well, what if you're just like a... What if you want to give extra points for Neil Mopé because he's so rubbish at scoring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, I said earlier in the podcast, and it got brought up even in part two with this sort of the, the, the defenders. Defenders aren't getting many points. How many has there, can we give them more points? And at the moment, we all know that the clean sheet rule is at 75 minutes. That's 75 minutes played. You get the clean sheet if you're a defender. And there's obviously now a call for, because I've had the call go both ways, that actually it shouldn't be 75 minutes and it should be more, you should honour more the game of football and it should be closer to 90. But I think that's becoming less and less popular as an opinion but actually the call to bring it forward and we've had a um a tweet in about this as well from rajian uh, who says a review of 75 minutes for a clean sheet please with five subs now has the number of early subs changed he says would need to see the data well we don't have the actual data but i do i can very clearly see that less clean sheets are being achieved by defenders out there and there is this call now that you bring it closer to 60, make sure they get the clean sheets and not. I know where I stand on it. As someone who picked up a clean sheet over the weekend, yourself, Jesse, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I I quite like the 75 minutes thing. I don't know whether it's because also, and obviously this, this was mentioned, I think, by, by Phil, but, you know, with all the extra added time, for me, that means 75 minutes becomes sort of more important because I'm like 60 minutes you know that's in some of these games that's like almost getting closer to halfway through the the actual match and it would have felt like I think ridiculous before all the added time came in to be like oh yeah if you if you sort of play the first half and you keep a clean sheet you get points then I think it would be interesting to see sort of also when defenders come off and I guess it's a bit of a maybe a difference between sort of fullbacks and centre-backs as well I feel like centre-backs are a lot less likely to come off other than through injury as opposed mm. to sort of fullbacks getting changed maybe earlier in in the game um, but I'm still pretty pro the 75 minutes for a clean sheet just because I think the point is about keeping a clean sheet and I know it's annoying if your defender goes off but again that's a bit like that's a bit like buying a striker who is only going to come play 60 minutes every game obviously you know they can score in that time but you've still got to like just bear that in mind this isn't going to be someone who plays 90 minutes and as a result they're going to have less chances to score as the game goes on but maybe maybe the answer is like having a distinction between centre-backs and full-backs potentially maybe I think the fact that it's there are so many people get annoyed because they're happening around 73 and 72 76 77 that kind of shows that it's good that it's 75 it makes it more exciting and it shows that we're within the right ballpark you're right if we brought it back to 60 everyone would get it anyway Um, and it makes it really exciting because I I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago the Zinchenko factor there are some managers it's like that they know the fancy league exists (laughs) and they and they bring them off at a certain time and I say the Zinchenko factor he didn't even do it with Zinchenko this weekend he did it with Ben White instead and who's got Ben White Chris Pilau, yes. Oh, no. I will also just say on this point as well is that obviously in the other fantasy league that shall not be named, 60 minutes is the rule there. And I wonder if that's part of sort of where this this feeling comes from. But Maybe. in that world, lots of people get annoyed. In that world, annoyed. you get a point for, 
for wearing a shirt and putting your socks on properly, don't you? There are too, too many <laughs> points in that world. Well, and also lots of people get annoyed when players get taken off after 59 minutes. So all that happens is you just ch- you still just reach a point where like sometimes players are going to be taken off at that time period. What if your defender's rubbish and they get taken off at half time because you're getting battered? You know, like unfortunately that's just the way it goes. Exactly. And like I said, I think defenders are going to be are difficult to judge this year. You can have the best defenders in the league. You could have the be- the Man City defenders. You don't even know if they're going to be playing. And some of the other, you know, really strong defenses. They're conceding goals. It's made it more exciting, but also frustrating. We appreciate how frustrating it is, but sometimes frustration equals excitement. It's not just about changing points. I don't, you know, obviously, no points are going to be changed this season. But it's not just about uh, potentially changing points and and having a go at the man- manual assists or two. We want this section to also be about you and your teams. Kind of maybe a bit of an agony aunt section. If you've got any, yeah, any any advice you need, obviously from Jesse about which players you should be targeting or not. Maybe as well we could act as the arbiter. We don't have to bring a lawyer on, an arbiter of any sort of dodgy things, dodgy crimes that may have taken place in your league. We can be here. We're we're all ears for all of it, as well as continuing. You know all the traditions that you've got. Um, anything you, that you want to make reference to that's happening in your league. We want to hear about it. We want to tell the Fancy League community who are all very interested and excited to hear about it. And please also let us know where you're listening from. We're slowly picking up news that this is an international community. We've got players in all corners of the globe and we'd love to hear where you're playing from and how easy it is to play far and far afield from from the UK. So do get in touch. We're here on podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk by email and on social media at fantasyleague. Thanks, Jesse, producer Simon, for this week and our guest, Phil. Next week, we've got Paul, as mentioned, the ex-Fantasy League fanzine editor. So lots to discuss with him. Looking forward to it already. See you next week. 